J'étends les bras et j'embrasse l'horizon dans l'absolu d'une petite musique. Celle d'un amour universel qui m'emporte comme une brise. Comme cette brise au sommet d'une montagne qui vous donne l'impression d'être submergé partout en même temps par la beauté qui vous entoure. Quand face à l'immensité de la vallée, vous êtes pris par un sentiment que les mots ne peuvent exprimer. Hi everyone, my name is Isabella Delacroix. Welcome to my podcast, Inner Travels, and to the constant questions that rumble in my head. Asia is the continent where I have traveled the most. That's the place where I have felt the most at home. And it's also the place that has taught me how to ground myself. I think one of the reasons why I am such an Asian freak is because I have found in ancient Asian culture answers to the question I ask myself. China, India, Nepal, Taiwan, Korea, Japan, Singapore, Thailand, only to name a few of those places I've traveled to, places that inspire me the most, that make me travel inside of me. How do I decondition myself? How high can my consciousness elevate if I can truly face myself, if I remain still in silence? A couple of years ago, my dad decided to bring me to that very special part of the world where he discovered his freedom and spent some of the most beautiful years of his life after graduating university in the 70s. <laughs> He's from the first generation of young people that started to travel to the East in the quest of spirituality by taking a van with his friends and driving across Europe and Asia. From Switzerland to Turkey, crossing the desert of the Middle East, Iran, the rough mountains of Afghanistan, Pakistan, the rich plains of the Hindus Valley, and then those of the Ganges River in India all the way to the hills surrounding Kathmandu, where he worked as a university professor, living in a hippie community, and discovering a reality completely opposite to the one he had grown up in. He wanted to transmit me the emotions he had felt in this place where he was so deeply happy, where he felt such a profound serenity, breaking free from his traditional Western education, embracing other people's views and becoming truly tolerant. Nepal is not only a place where he keeps meaningful memories of experiences that have changed his life, but it is also where he has brought the woman he loved the most. His first girlfriend when he was 20, my mom when he was 40, and me when he was 60. Before my trip to the Himalayas, I was in a really dark mental space because my surrounding reality was too intense for the fragile teenager I was. 
I was involved in so many adult problems. And I know that unless I was taught how to ground myself earlier, it was just impossible for me to not feel absolutely broken as a result of the chaotic reality surrounding me. And that is where all the importance of grounding lays in my eyes today. When you're not grounded, the chaos you see around you overwhelms you and you're a victim of life. Things happen to you. But I think the power, the purpose of grounding is to nurture a stable and strong energy inside of you so that you become more resilient to life adversities, so that you create your life based on your own values, purpose and vision, so that you consciously direct your energy flow wherever it serves you and others best. And that is where meditation has really helped me in cultivating my inner balance, peace, happiness, and caused me to develop a deeper sense of who I am, of purpose in life, in developing my creativity, intuition, humility, forgiveness, compassion, generosity. All these things that I didn't take the time to nurture when I lived a rushed life. Today, I find answers in silence when I stop distracting myself. I had seen my dad meditate since I'm a kid, and he has always told me of how making meditation an integral part of his life in the last 40 years has helped him in facing adversities in his personal life and at work. And during this trip in Nepal, he told me that through meditation, he embraces all the energy surrounding him, energy that we call positive and negative, but that he goes beyond those concepts of positive and negative and just transforms all that into creative energy and inner strength. What makes me so nostalgic about this trip is the long conversations we had. I could, for the first time, share with him who I am, what I dreamed of, what I've experienced. We talked about our family issues, about the meaning of life, about our inner quests, God, death, the future. I miss riding a little boat on the Pokhara Lake with him, looking at his smiling face with a bright pink sunset lighting the Himalayas behind him. I miss him taking my hand when we were 4,000 meters high in the mountain, submerged by the beauty of the deep valley beneath us and the majestic mountains rising 8,000 meters high in the sky silently admiring the power of creation, the power of nature. Traveling is really precious for me because it helps me bond with people in such moments of ecstasy and those moments of silence and appreciation for the world in all its contrast. I'm so grateful for him transmitting me his wisdom, his passions, his curiosity, 
and his hunger to be alive. One day, while we were exploring the Annapurna circuit, driving our way to the Tibetan valley of Mustang, the bridge we had to cross collapsed because the river stream had become so strong. It was monsoon season, so it was raining all the time. And in remote places like this, humans have no control over nature's power. But I didn't feel anxious at all. I was so happy to be lost like that, somewhere where time doesn't matter, completely disconnected of the world. Or should I say, more connected? Since we were blocked for a few hours, waiting for people to come and fix the bridge, I decided to walk along the river stream and sit on a huge rock facing a waterfall. I started looking at the massive clouds hiding the mountains, the birds flying over me, the rain dripping on my hair. And then I closed my eyes and started feeling the wind hitting my face. I started smelling the scent of pines. I was listening to the water. I was just being present, enjoying my breath. The music nature was playing. I just let go of control and welcome any sensations and feelings arising inside of me. Today I know how important it is for me to reconnect with the earth because it balances me out, because our planet emits a frequency that grounds my mind. And I wonder if that's why there's such harmony within animal kingdoms, within eco ecosystems and remote galaxies. Because at its core, our world is perfectly balanced out. And I want to quote something from Deepak Chopra regarding this. He says that while meditation does connect you to a higher spiritual plane, it also serves to ground you. You may not always be able to trust that the world will give you what you need to survive. But connection to your higher self and trust in the universe will give you what you need to feel safe and bring a sense of peace and stability. And then he said something that I really resonate with. The animals in the forest have no idea if and when they will find food each day. Yet somehow they trust in nature to provide for them. Nature has been one of my greatest teachers just by observing, feeling, merging with it. And during this trip in Nepal, as I was going higher in the mountain, my perceptions were also getting higher. I have the same feeling when I'm on the plane. I hardly ever sleep when I fly because it's so precious for me to listen to music and look through the window. I always get so emotional. I think about the people I love that are not here anymore, the memories frozen in the past, those experiences forever marked in my heart, the scars on my body. When I'm wandering in the clouds, I always feel so grateful to be alive, so humbled by how big our planet is. I feel so inspired to write when I'm high in the sky, seeing things 
with a higher perspective, literally expanding my horizons. And I realized that in the Himalayas, for local people, the more they elevate in altitude, the more their consciousness elevates too. Because in such hostile places to life, they're, of, they're often like naturally forced to humility, constrained by material comfort, having the time and space to look inwards, to let their inner selves flourish. To the point where at some places in the Himalayas, Hindus and Buddhists don't make any separation between their faith. They prefer to get united, to practice rituals together, to worship God no matter the path they choose to take. Again, in front of the immensity of those mountains, the silence of the valley, who are we to claim differences? The more pilgrims elevate towards the summits, the more tolerance grows, the stronger the sense of sharing and of acceptation. That religions are just one specific perspective to the same common reality they try to create. The more the consciousness elevates, the more universal the perception of the divine. And it's fine. I don't think we need to rationalize and define what the divine is because it's something you live not something you believe in or something that you express with words. My generation calls it the universe, energy. My parents call it God, whatever. Some people don't need to believe in anything. Some people see art as a way to channel something divine. Some people believe in money, fame, as others would believe in Jesus, Guan Yin, or Krishna. It all comes down to creation. But for you, where does creation really come from? Is it outside of you or inside of you? It doesn't matter as long as it connects you with something essential. I honestly think we live in the matrix. But what's the matrix you wish for yourself? I believe... We plant seeds in every thought, word, action, and one day on this human journey, sooner or later, we will be able to harvest what we cultivated. The rice fields, the hot monsoon rain, the waterfalls along our way, the lost temples in the middle of the forest, the adventure of not knowing where to sleep each night, the surprises every day has for us when we open up to life, and the admiration for how tectonic movements uplifted the mountains with these lunar landscapes whose colors range from beige to black with here and there a pink touch, a dark red, yellow, or other unexpected tones coming from the titanic force of nature. The valley was broad and majestic, bringing us closer to Tibet, to the ancient kingdom of Mustang that has long been inaccessible and forbidden to foreigners. But that's precisely why it kept its magic, conserved its esoteric Buddhist traditions. 
as if in this hidden part of the world, society didn't evolve, but only the mind, the consciousness. As my father and I were walking through this very mystical part on our planet, walking through the village of Kagbeni, we entered a courtyard filled with flowers and prayer flags. It was a monastery where 10-year-old little monks were playing football with a piece of rag. We talked, played with them for a bit, and then entered by a small door to a room where monks were tending. They waved at us and invited us to go sit with them. The first impression I got when I entered there I felt like there was an explosion of colors with all these tantric figures and demons, statues and paintings covering the walls. It gave me that DMT aesthetic vibe, let alone their mantras, the music they were playing with drums, horns and bells. I felt carried away by this very mystical, almost psychedelic experience. Being in such an environment really alters your state of consciousness. You know, their inner cells are so strong that they influence the energy in the room. And I believe that at the core of myself, I also have the power to influence in a positive way my surrounding reality, just as you do. And I respect Buddhism because in its essence, it's not a religion trying to force you to believe in something. It's a way of living, a path, an inner journey of self-discovery. Because just as a specific disease needs a specific type of medicine, not everyone can take the same pill. Otherwise, it won't have the right healing effect, right? So in the same way Buddhism pushes people to find the right dosage, to find your own path that suits your own situation. Buddhist teachings are shared so that you can experience, test them out, and see if it works for you. But it's not about believing in something. It's about living your faith, embodying and integrating those teachings and that wisdom. And the first time I was introduced to Buddhism was precisely that day. The Lama, which is the head of the monastery, spiritual leader that did speak English, came to talk to us and share the basics of Mahayana Buddhism. And the first thing he talked about was the purity of our intentions. It's not precisely what you do that matters, but the intention you had behind each word and action. Everyone is doing the best they can with what they have, and whether it's good or bad is totally relative and subjective. You can compare yourself to others because everyone's circumstances are different. What matters is that you compare yourself to who you were yesterday and that you act in such a way that 
It benefits your spiritual growth, hence the world, without harming others. And just as in most religions, in Buddhism, there is a strong message of compassion. But it's not passive. Compassion isn't just to be empathic, but rather taking action because you want others to be free from suffering. And he said that the big problem with Westerners is that we don't know how to use our ego because it isn't something we have to kill, but rather something we have to train and turn pristine clear because our ego is a martyr to accomplish our missions. The reason why I instantaneously clicked with this philosophy is because it taught me about two principles that were absolutely lacking in my life, impermanence and detachment. Life is not static, nothing is fixed. We're part of a universe in expansion. Everything within and around us is constantly changing, evolving, and hence, nothing is ours forever. We can't take things for granted, What we are, what we own, is prone to fade away, to transform into something new. You know, one of the principles of chemistry is nothing is gained, nothing is lost, everything transforms. I think it's just the natural process of evolution, in our microcosm, at least. This thing about impermanence about how ephemeral human life is, I only integrated it and truly accepted it with my biggest loss. And my biggest loss was my brother's death. Your family is what you think no one can steal away from you. Your family is what you take the most for granted. They're the only people. You have the certainty that they will always be there for you. And they are, in a sense. I know that, no matter the circumstances, our hearts are still united. And I know that he is proud of me, proud of what I'm doing, because his last words to me were to be more curious about the infinitely small and the infinitely big. And I know that I will never lose that hunger to learn, to explore, to discover the world and try to understand human beings. And the reason why I love traveling the world so much is because it allows me to make such deep travels inside myself. And I'm convinced that every single human being has treasures digged deep within, waiting to be discovered. All the monks, Hindu or Buddhist spiritual teachers I met could not stress enough the importance of meditation. Not because meditation per se will change you, but because meditation is a tool that helps you become more aware, more conscious of yourself, and it expands your mind. I'm convinced humans' potential is infinite, but it's up to us to train it and unlock its power. I went from not being in touch with my emotions, from not listening to my body's needs, to slowly finding a way of letting go of what doesn't serve me anymore, a way of tuning in with my inner self, a way of balancing my energy, 
to make it stable and expensive? Why do we always avoid pain? And why are we always looking for more? Why are we never satisfied? Always wanting more comfort, more attention, more possessions. We are looking in the wrong direction to fill in the emptiness within us. I truly think life is made for us to experience this wide range of emotions, ups and downs, to enjoy the beauty constantly surrounding us, but that we don't always pay attention to. And to grow and have fun. We're here on a journey to learn how to unlock our full potential of creation and enjoy the process. Your present is the past of some potential future, right? Why don't you make the most out of it? You don't know for how long you and the ones you love will be here, for how long you will own your material possessions, for how long your social status, your fame, your wealth will last. Invest in something that truly benefits and fulfills you and others. Enjoy the luxurious, sensual pleasures of human existence. But why don't we contemplate them with detachment so that we don't let the reality surrounding us tear us down when things go wrong? Do something for others. Uplift others. Help them. Spread love. And you'll see how you will naturally uplift too. Welcome the unknown with open arms. Welcome whatever is coming in your way. Embrace the things you lose, the doors that are closing, because life is guiding you and trying to communicate things to you. But when you force something, when you're not accepting the reality, when you don't want to let go, you're just creating a resistance to the flowing dance your soul is trying to perform. As I said at the beginning of this podcast, I was in a really dark mental space before discovering Oriental spiritualities, which helped me find answers to my questions and my worries. I was living in such a toxic bubble. All my life was centered on what was wrong because I could only see how unfair life was. I hated the reality around me, every bit of it. I was so angry at the world. I felt so much pain that I felt destroyed inside. And I felt so fucking lonely. I felt like the loneliest person in the world. I went through anorexia, depression, tried to commit suicide. It was tough. It was fucking tough. Because I didn't have the inner love and wisdom to help me go through it. But in Nepal, I started this long journey that taught me that most of our suffering comes from our ignorance, the attachment we have to our thoughts, and to the identification we have with the mind. Think about this. If the mind is so powerful that it can put you into depression, don't you think it can also go the way around and uplift you into infinite possibilities? I used to think the hard thing in my life was my surrounding reality. With all the problems I was involved in, the suffering I was going through. But what if the actual hard thing was to take the courage to get rid of my blockages, mental limitations and fears to let abundance flow through me? 
Today it is so dear to me to look for transparency, to let the line shine through, purity of mind, simplicity of thought. Guys, don't try to escape or to cover and hide your suffering because it will sooner or later show up again, probably in ways you won't notice, like eating disorders, addictions, self-destructive behaviors, body pain, and psychosomatic disorders. You need to face it, clean, and heal your heart from that pain you're going through. But you need to find the right way and give yourself time. I just want you to know that you can do it. But know that denial, repression, projection, reaction are all defense mechanisms to protect the anxiety one can have when facing things we don't know, things we don't understand or that we don't want to accept. But if you know yourself, you know how to deal with your darkness and how to turn it into light. The first doctrine of Buddhism is called the Four Noble Truths. The truth of suffering, the truth of the cause of suffering, the truth of the end of suffering, the truth of the path that leads to the end of suffering. It basically says that humanity faces suffering. It exists, it has a cause, but it also has an end. And the way I have understood Buddhism so far is to acknowledge that pain. Think about where it come from to then realize how life is not about suffering, but about happiness, bliss, and love. That's exactly how I felt when I left that monastery, full of energy, gratefulness, awareness. Me and my dad took a last long walk through the pastures and rocks of Muktinat, all the way to a huge Buddha statue in the middle of nowhere. And it was as if this gold statue, covered in precious stones, was thoughtfully contemplating the work of art that nature is, with detachment far away of all contingencies. And above us, for the first time during this monsoon season, the clouds spread apart, allowing me and my dad to admire the majestic silhouette of the Annapurna mountains and the eternal snow of the Dalagiri. It felt like time froze, like time didn't exist. We stayed there and enjoyed the color of the sky, changing as the sun was coming down. There is a sunrise and a sunset every day, and you can choose to be there for it. You can put yourself in the way of beauty. I am a body, it's my vessel, I need to take care of it. I am a mind with unlimited potential, I need to train it. But I am not just that. Body and mind are just my home for this earthly journey whose length and final destination are unknown to me. I realized the world around me could collapse and I would still have a whole universe where I can travel to inside of me.